Hi everyone! Welcome to this episode of My Sister Made Me View It, books edition covering The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. So this is one of three podcasts we have, and right now Emily and I are kind of locked inside of a little ratings battle to see, you know, whose pick of podcast coverage material is more popular, and she has two podcasts that are getting covered under this competition, and I just have one. So I think I need to bring out the big guns for this introduction. The following is brought to you thanks to the fact that I haven't been on Twitter for a few months, so I have a lot more time to do creative nonsense, uh, like you're about to hear right now. <clears throat> oh yeah, this song is called Hey Meg, What's Up? Hey Meg, what's up? Well... I'm obsessed with Netflix Center World. I'm boarding lower decks. Real hard just moved and had no internet for eight whole days. Felt like I could have died. But yeah, I moved the place a mess. Ran out of TV and I'm three weeks deep on training. <gasps> Marathon. <sighs> oh gosh. My legs are tired. My computer mouse is gone. And my monitor's cracked. My AC's no good. And I'm melting real fast. And I jitter for Twitter. How long can I? last but the show must go on this is for the podcast if i get my act together maybe i can blame it on the hot weather still my life is so much better than kaladin's or dalinar's and even now has found herself in some straits that i'd call dire so thanks for tuning in to our podcast em and i appreciate the time you take to listen to it sit back enjoy this episode discussing way of king by brandon sanderson published in 2010 probably a couple more facts maybe i should have thought this part of the song through a little bit faster but presented by my sister made me view it Procrastinators, Books Edition, The Way of Kings. My name is Megan, and I spent the whole day storyboarding. Yay! Congratulations! Thank you. My name is Emily, and I made progress on my book yesterday. And we're going to reward ourselves by doing a podcast! Yes! We procrastinate with podcasts, we reward ourselves with podcasts. It's a good life. We just get a rush from podcasting. It's true. And I want you guys to know that we are eating podcast friendly snacks today quiet snacks quiet snacks i have my my gummy bears and i have marshmallows (laughs) today we are the way of kings we are finishing up part one we are covering chapters eight nine ten and eleven eight nearer the flame nine damnation ten Stories of Surgeons, and Chapter 11, Droplets. A quick content warning for this chapter is we will be discussing clinical depression, depressive episodes, and suicidal ideation. And this is going to stand as a content warning for the remainder of this book because 
this is an issue that Kaladin is constantly working against. So Emily started this week's assignment and she looks up at me and she's like, we're reading four chapters? Why are we reading four chapters? And I was like, I... yes. <laughs> what I didn't want to say was one of them is very short and it's a flashback chapter. I am so excited to get into this chunk. It has a really, really excellent bit in it. I was going to say, it has my favorite bit in the book. My favorite bit of the book is near the end. But uh, we could say it's my favorite chapter in part one. Because Emily, look, you're done with part one of the book. I'm done with part one. How many pages is that? 193. Nice. So we've read almost 200 pages. And it looks like we've read about... 20% of the book. <laughs> <laughs> Not the series. The book. <laughs> so we're going to start off with chapter eight, Nearer the Flame. I'm going to start by reading the epigraph and then we're going to dive into Emily's notes. So, victory. We stand atop the mount. We scatter them before us. Their homes become our dens. Their lands are now our farms, and they shall burn, as we once did, in a place that is hollow and forlorn. Collected on Isha Shan, 1172, 18 seconds pre-death. Subject was a light-eyed spinster of the eighth dawn. Now I find this of particular interest, because both Emily and I are light-eyed spinsters. <laughs> happened in this chapter um some unexpected things so yasna kalin shows back up and she's like did you think i wouldn't find out that you're here i made sure people told me if you stayed here like i just knew you would come back basically <laughs> and she tells her to get out she's like take your things and go Shalom's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> she's in the hallway trying not to like break down crying because yasna's really like Direct. Direct. Yeah. And so, yeah, she's in... So, Shalon's in the hallway. Like, she just leaves. She's in the hallway just, like, trying to, like, calm down. Trying to not have a breakdown. <laughs> and then... And then they're like, oh, Yasna would like to speak to you. And Shalon's like, oh, is she gonna berate me further? What? Um, uh... And then Yasna apologizes for her anger. Which, listen, is nice because having been on the receiving end from like superiors who are having a bad day and take it out on you, to have them apologize to you means a lot. A, you shouldn't lose your temper in a professional setting. Uh huh. But B, it's always nice when they apologize. Now, it's interesting you mentioned that because Yasna is a princess and she's all like grace and poise. Why do you think she lost her temper? You know, there's a war going on. Mm -hmm. I don't know who's winning. 
And we haven't seen her brother. Like, I haven't heard anything about her brother. And I don't know what her role is. So I don't know what she's trying to accomplish. Why do you think she's at the Palinaeum, this giant library? I think that she is, she's pulling a Gandalf and she's looking for what? Nothing. It just made me really happy to like <laughs> picture Gandalf on one side of the room and yes, it's on the other. <laughs> and Gandalf's like muttering and smoking and moving papers around. And yes, I don't know. They just look across the room and do like the, the nod, like, hey, dude. <laughs> like, oh, you two, what are you researching this week? <laughs> There's like apparently a ring my friend has. What are you researching? Can't tell you. It's spoilers. <laughs> so I think she's here trying to find something that will help them in the war. So that that's my guess here. And apparently it's not going well because she doesn't seem like she's having a great time. So Yasna apologizes and she's like, you left your spheres behind. Shalon was using her spheres as illumination. Which I found hilarious because this is a rich girl who's just like, money? What? Oh, Yeah. And it gave me a very Harry Potter, Ron Weasley vibe, uh-huh. where like Harry pays spoilers, I guess, <laughs> for book four, where he pays Ron back in gold, leprechaun gold, but it disappears. Ron no, pays Harry back. Thank you. Dang it. Ron pays Harry back. The gold disappears. And it, we're just reminded again that like as a Weasley, money disappearing would have been a big deal. But for Harry Potter, he's just like, wait, money? I don't know. I have it, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, um, and so Shalon shoots her shot and says, Hey, what'd you think of the letter I wrote? And, and Yasna's like, what letter? And Shalon's like, it's, it's beneath the books. And it's so right, it's right there. It's, it's over. And then there's next to, yeah, that one. So as Shalon is packing up her spheres, well, though, no, she packs up her spheres and then waits for Yasna to read the letter. And then Yasna's like, Oh, you're self-trained. Cause I don't know. I can't. I can't remember how much we talked about the letter in the last episode, but Shalon's like, listen, here's my history. Here's what I know. I was self-trained. I didn't have like formal governesses or knowledge and stuff. So everything I have, I've earned myself and I want, and I want more. And Yasna's like, you should have left the note and then left before I came back. And Shalon's like, it would have been lost underneath your books. (laughs) So then Yasna makes Shalon not a deal, but she gives her this really kind offer, which is you can try to be my ward again. I will invite you to basically apply again. Meg, what's that like? So this actually relates to a note I told you to make. So I've read this book. This is my eighth time through this book. I have to skip these scenes. When Yasna's yelling at Shalon and when she's like, you can try again in a year, I have to skip it because... When I was trying to get into the BYU animation program, I had to apply four different times. So basically every six months for two years. And it was so stressful. (laughs) And it was so hard. And it was just heartbreaking every time that I got rejected. Also, I, I hate scenes of... I don't mind fight scenes, but I don't always like reading argument confrontations, especially between someone that the character really respects. I hate when someone a character respects is yelling at the character, you know, so like full of a took <laughs> makes me sad. So I usually either glide over or just read the highlights of this, but I read it all for the podcast because I care about you guys. And, and it's funny because reading it through this time, 
So, so Emily, you and I are much closer to Yasna's age right now because she's 34 and we're both in our early 30s. How old's Shalon? How old is Shalon? I don't think it's... I don't think it's specifically said yet, but she's, she's a younger woman. So mm-hmm. she's closer to Kaladin's age. Who's 19? Yes. He's Rashar 19. Okay. Got I'm it. only saying that because if I don't say he's Rashar 19, people will be like, hmm. but what about the Risharan calendar, guys? <laughs> I know. We're just going to say he's only 19, but his mind is older. <laughs> the scene with Yasna Kalin and uh, Shalon didn't go the way I expected. I thought that Yasna Kalin would see her artwork and see that she's a master artist Mm -hmm. and be like oh i can use this i was really surprised when that didn't happen Mm -hmm. so it's interesting about everything that yasna expects shalon to know because in brandon's annotations for the way of kings and this was actually way back from his annotations of chapter three for those of you who have read brandon's books already he has almost like an author's commentary on his website that you can check out Very interesting, very fun. And in his annotations for The Way of Kings Chapter 3, he mentions that one of the things that interests him about early era scientists is how broad their knowledge base has to be. So like nowadays, if you're going into science, you would major in one very specific thing. I'm going into microbiology. I'm going into chemistry. I'm going into... Botanist. Botany. <laughs> I'm going into botany. And back then, classical scholars were different. They were expected to know language, natural sciences, philosophy, like all these things that Yasna's like, okay, Shalon, what do you know about this? What do you know about this? What do you know about this? And so while Shalon is incredibly gifted as an artist, she's not generalized enough to be of value and to Yasna Kalin. Yeah. For whatever... Yasna's Gandalf quest is. (laughs) So Shalon is like, okay, this is a really generous offer, but I need to be a ward now. Like she cannot wait because everybody's, everyone is counting on her because uh, her dad apparently has made a lot of enemies. And my note says stupid dad. (laughs) (laughs) And like... Their, yeah, their family doesn't have any more allies. They don't have, like, anyone else they can talk to. So she's she's getting sort of crushed down by the pain in her chest and, like, the free hand in her head. And, like, overwhelmed by the weight of House Devar's situation, her part in it, and the secret she now carries. And then she gets interrupted by, oh, young miss. Who is it? Oh, it's Yalb. It's Yalb. <laughs> Yalb. Yalb. I like Yalb. He's still there. He was only supposed to be there two hours. And he waited. He waited. He also used the money she gave him to gamble and has a really interesting <laughs> philosophical conversation with her about gambling and cheating and how it's what he's expected to do. And he's very good at it. And she's just like, this is not... She's like, but it's wrong. And he's like, basically, it's you only get in trouble if you get caught. <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> She mentioned something. She says, you shouldn't gamble. You shouldn't try to guess the future. Ooh. That is a big Vorin no-no. Interesting. Mathematically figuring out high storms is like 
you're on thin ice, buddy. Oh. So you shouldn't try to guess the future, but if you can, uh, if you can figure it out with sciences, it's fine. It's you know, it's, it's, it's gray. It's gray. And so, so we come to a gray area. <laughs> you shouldn't gamble, Shalon said. You shouldn't try to guess the future. I didn't give you that sphere so you could waste it on such practices. Y'all laughed. It ain't gambling if you know you're going to win, young <laughs> miss. You cheated? She hissed. She's horrified. horrified. We came, this may or may not go on the podcast. Why were we taught that gambling is bad? Is it just, like, irresponsible to, like, waste your money if you don't know you're going to win? Yeah. 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 Like, I, I know there's people who are card sharks who can do it, no problem, but mm-hmm. I don't have that skill at all. <laughs> um, and so I think it's very funny that the specific reason gambling is bad in this world is that the Voran religion is like, oh, you can't guess the future. That's <laughs> horrible. Also, during this whole thing, sorry, as they're talking and they're making their way back to the boat, I was terrified. I thought they were going to get pickpocketed because, like, he has to avoid the drunken revelers and he turns and walks backwards while he's talking to her. So I'm like, is he watching? Like, he's literally watching her back. And I could tell they were were in a better part of town, you know, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, I'm just like, she doesn't care about money, but it's going to be gone. And then she's going to realize the value of money. And I was freaking out about it. I'd like to read a little bit of beautiful world building here. The street was lit by oil lanterns. Spheres would just have ended up in someone's pouch. But many of the people about carried sphere lanterns, casting a rainbow of colored light on the roadway. The people were almost like Spren, each a different hue, moving this way and that. That's very pretty. I thought it was very pretty. Like that. So she kind of confides to Yalb that, oh, hey, it didn't work. She's not going to take me as a ward. And Yalb's like, how hard did you try? Are you going <laughs> to... Basically, he's like, oh, you're going to give up? Well, actually, he flirts with her a bit. Or he's like, why wouldn't she want you? You're so perfect. <laughs> but Shalon's like, I, I tried to persuade her. Like, I did. I went to her a second time, and she rejected me again. And Yob's like, two times, huh? In cards, you always got to try a third hand. It wins the most often. Shalon frowned. Uh, but that's not really true. The laws of probability and statistics. Don't know much blustering math, Yob said, folding his arms. But I do know the passions. You win when you need it most, you see. Mm. So this sets Shalon thinking about what her shortcomings are. And I didn't quite follow what she was doing here. It made sense later on. But she has y'all find her the merchant's area where they sell books. She goes into one of the bookstores and it's set up beautifully. It's the floor is wood, but it's seamless. And she's like, obviously it was, you know, soul cast. We know a little bit more about that. This part was fabulous. She tells them there's a, a husband and wife team and she tells them what she's looking for. So the wife goes in the back to basically go find it. And the the husband is out there talking to her. And he's basically like, why do you want all these philosophy books? I have all these wonderful romances for a young lady like you. Oh, my blood started boiling. Because uh, he's just so patronizing. And he just talks down to her about, why would you need to know things? Don't you want to, like, I don't know. Don't you want to feel things? Right. <laughs> and she kind of unleashes her 
sassy sassiness clever. on him. Clever, yes. All the cleverness of me. And like puts him in his place. Let me give me give me the book. Give me the book. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Yeah. While Emily's looking for this bit in the book, I want to mention that the signs outside the shops don't have writing on them. They have a glyph pair, and it's the glyph pair that means book, and it's usually stylized on all these different shops. It's stylized to look like a book so illiterate servants can find it. That is actually a bit that's drawn a little bit from our own Earth history. I don't know if Brandon did that specifically. I feel like he would have. I feel like he's the sort of person to research and do that. <laughs> but it's why a lot of ye old timey stores would have the name of the shop and also a picture of what they sold inside. So like a butcher would have a cow or a pig on it and a blacksmith would have, you know, hammer and tongs. Perfect. Yeah, basically he's he's trying to say like, wouldn't you want to read these cute things? And she's like, yeah, sure, give me this book. And it's a book about... Like a man who descends into madness after, like, watching his children starve. And he's like, oh, uh, maybe we have that one. <laughs> like, just really shows him, you know, that she knows what she's about. They are Thalen. Yes. And Shalon suspects it's because Yalb would have asked, because Yalb is Thalen, mm-hmm. that Yalb would have asked his buddies and they would have been like, oh, yeah, go to this Thalen bookstore. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, do you treat all of your customers like this? Like, she calls him out on his... Bullshirt. Bolshevik, Bolshevik, as our high school teacher would say. <laughs> uh, do you treat all your customers this way? Brightness, I believe you stray into sarcasm. Funny, I thought I'd run straight into it, screaming at the top of my lungs. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to go help my wife. <laughs> and he takes off. <laughs> I'm going to go get my wife. <laughs> he comes back with all the books that, you know, she's asked for. And Seth shows up. Not really. So Emily says this. She looks up from the book and she's like, Seth shows up! And I was like, what are you reading? And she's like, they offhandedly mentioned someone dressed all in white. The assassin in white. Okay. Okay. So she's picked up all these philosophy books on, on, based on what uh, Yasna had, names that Yasna had said. And the merchant is just like, great. It's like 10 brome, which is like, ridiculous it's a ridiculous price and she's like oh maybe i can put some back yalp comes to her rescue by coming in and pretending to be from another merchant store and it's like listen my master really does want to sell you these books and don't buy from this dude come come with me and it's this back and forth back and forth and it takes her a minute to catch on but he saves her like a ton of money because this dude is just being a creep so and Yalb does indeed drive the price way down. So Super down. What books does Shalon get? Alrighty, she gets. Man, these are names that I am not gonna be able to pronounce. Um, Times and Passages by Renkalt. It was a single volume survey of Rosharan history. Um, let's see. Uh, well, she doesn't get that actually, um, because it's just such a generic a brief generic yeah. overview she gets eternathus eternathus i guess that's how you say it it's four volumes it's a philosophical oh this part it's a philosophical work which examines the same time period by focusing only on the interactions of the five foreign kingdoms and she goes like or she's like the five kingdoms there's only, she only thought there were four and so she doesn't know about this. Uh, she takes something by Placini and Manoline. And 
Let's see, a book by someone called Gabrathin, and a single book by Shaka, daughter Hasweth. Yay! Who's a Shin philosopher. And a couple chapters ago, when Yasna mentioned this, Shalon's like, do the Shin have philosophers? She's basically like, they live in huts of stone. Mud. And mud. Just mud. They, no, not stone. Not stone, because that's that's blasphemous. Just mud. And <laughs> so, yeah, there's a little bit of that classism coming through. So she goes back to basically this big library, the Pelanium? Palaneum. Palaneum. And I'm pretty sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you said it was such authority. And it's just like, yeah, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to study and I'm going to fill in all the gaps. And Yasna's going to take me back because I'm going to fill in all my knowledge gaps. And my, my notes are, yes, girl, fill those knowledge gaps. So she doesn't even get to crack a book, basically. And Yasna is there. Just like, girl, what are you doing here still? Because she goes back to Yasna's reading room. No, she goes next to it. Just right. so she can, like, kind of look in and see her. And, like, okay, she's still there. And then she goes to start to study. <laughs> and uh, Yasna's like, wow, you're really tenacious. I mean, I knew this when I, like, invited you to be my, to apply to be my ward. She's like, give me your satchel. Sean's like, what? And Yasna's like, I do not like to repeat myself. Right. I think Shalon has forgotten for a brief moment this is the princess, the king's sister. Mm-hmm. And I, sorry, this slight sidebar, I love this version of a princess. Because normally you think princess and you think, you know, young teenage star of the fairy tale. But ma, it's just my bow. <laughs> just my bow. <laughs> um, and I... Love having, she's more like Princess Leia than she is like, I was going to say Princess Peach, but I don't think that is quite. <laughs> but anyway, uh, <laughs> Princess Peach, that was the only princess my brain was giving me. I know there's others. So Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh, that was just really unexpected. <laughs> it was a very unexpected name. She feels more like a Princess Leia. Well, she feels more like Gandalf than she feels like a Disney princess. Mm -hmm. I really love Yasna Kalin. Notice me, Senpai. (laughs) And Yasna deducts from all these sketches that Shalon has done that Shalon has done this on her own because she loves to learn. And Yasna says, well, you didn't do this to impress me. You did this because you loved it. Okay, we'll start in the morning. Right? So it's like, Shalon's like, ah! <laughs> you didn't do this to impress me, and that is what has impressed me. <laughs> and so she has accomplished one step closer to. Uh, she got the email she was waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> so Meg's brain does a thing. Maybe we shouldn't have. Had just like pure sugar for snacks on this podcast. <laughs> what does go. my brain do? Your brain's always like, there's an important email, and you'll check your email. I've been waiting for this important email for a few months, and the email came this week, and it was so exciting. And it was like at the point where I was like, maybe I should email them back and check. Which last I had done three months ago, and I was like, I gotta stop emailing them. When they're ready, they'll email me. And they did. And they did. And it was funny because the night before it came, I was like, I should email them. No, 
I shouldn't even let me get just wait and I'm like no 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 maybe this time the and I'm like Megan don't don't and I got the email at midnight that night so it's like I was rewarded anyway so I I feel I have a lot in common with Shalom's journey except for Shalon's backstory. <laughs> a wealthy, privileged woman living in her father's library. <laughs> um, and some other things you don't know yet. <laughs> oh! Her dad. Okay, sorry. We've already talked for half an hour about one chapter. We have three more to go, but... They're short. Um, well, we did laugh for 20 minutes about my spinster <laughs> joke. It's funny because it's true. <laughs> um, she has a brother that went missing and her dad's like, he's dead. And I'm like, he's not dead. What? Listeners, I just put both my hands on my face because I just remembered about that brother. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I just remembered what happened to that no, brother! No, no. Nothing, he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> is gonna be so good (laughs) so um she talks a little bit also about her dad being just like i can't think of the specific like specifics but basically her dad was making a lot of really weird choices and a lot of like he alienated obviously all their allies and i wonder is it because he used this illegal soul caster that he didn't study it well enough because i don't know if i don't know right now if you have to be trained to use it or if you have an innate Ability, I don't know exactly how this works, but I wonder if using that soul caster magic, if it addled his brain a bit, and that's why he went a little crazy at the end. Um, And she also has a fear of ending up like her father. Yes. He had a temper. Big temper. And when she, you know, she unleashes her razor wit on the merchant and and we're being like rightly so and we're like go shalon go go shalon go but she gets a little frightened of herself when she does that because she's like it's just like when my dad loses his temper so that's a that's a thing to keep out for yeah also i'm excited to find out more about uh how the safe hand versus free hand tradition got started i'm interested in that if that happened we there's a word of Brandon, and I don't know how much they address it in the books. Would you like me to answer that now, or would you like it to... Okay. We'll, we'll wait down the way. I'm just... Those are my those are my things, so... There are times where I'm like, is this a word of Brandon, or is this in the text? But yeah, we'll, we'll go through the text. Nice. Okay, so the next chapter is chapter nine. And it's called... Damnation. Damn. And last week I was like, oh, that's a Kaladin chapter. Can you <laughs> read us the epigraph? Yes, it says, Ten people with shard blades of light standing before a wall of black and white and red. It was collected in 1173, 12 seconds pre-death. Subject one of our own ardents overheard during his last moments. I don't know what that means, but there's ten of them. Nope. <laughs> yes, ten people with shard blades. Who's ardents? They are the paid missionary religious people servants. Not who are ardents. Whose ardents are they? Oh, it doesn't say. Okay. I wonder who's collecting these. I don't know. We'll find out. Will we? Oh, Brando Sando. You made my heart hurt so bad in these chapters. So bad. Let's talk about Kaladin. Kaladin's life is garbage. It's filth. Pew dresses. <laughs> Smack. 
Rubbish. <laughs> Slime. <laughs> basically, he's been in the bridge for what? Like, I don't know. But basically, he realizes he didn't get sent to bridge four, bridge crew four by chance. That was a death sentence. Because it says on an average bridge crew, they lose one third to one half of these men on each run. And they just bring more men in to fill the gaps. And they don't do anything basically to protect them. Like Kaladin brings up several times, why can't we run with shields? Why can't we do this? And he's basically told, stop. We don't. And he says, of the 25 men who had survived his first bridge deployment, 23 were now dead. But like, he's just like, it doesn't matter. Nothing I do matters at all. Everything is terrible. And I want to talk a little bit about this because this isn't something that we've mentioned on the podcast yet, but Kaladin has clinical depression in a world that doesn't understand what that means and has no way to help him. I want to read some of Brandon's annotations for chapter nine. In Brandon's words, This chapter is probably the most depressing thing I've ever written. Writing a depressed character, someone in this bad a situation, is risky. It goes against almost every writing rule out there. A character like this can't be active, and there is basically no progress to the story. Sometimes I'll read the writing of new authors in my class who will try to use depression as a character flaw. They've heard instructors, perhaps myself, talk about how internal conflicts can create a really strong character. They also know that depression is something real and difficult to deal with in life, so they figure it will make a good demon for the main character to overcome. The trap is that if that author is truly good at writing depression, then nothing actually happens in the story. It can be wonderfully authentic and at the same time, wonderfully boring to read. This chapter is kind of the culmination of me breaking rules in the beginning of The Way of Kings. I think this chapter makes the story incredibly more powerful, but the chapter itself is like a kick in the face to read. Slow, depressing. I assume this is probably the biggest place where, if people are going to stop reading, they put down the book and never pick it back up here. So these chapters, they move really slowly and like obviously Kaladin's actual life he's going through is terrible, but it's being compounded upon the fact that we're reading a depressive episode. And it's something that he's going to struggle with and talk about with through the book. And this is like the final... Okay, so we've got all these different pieces of why I love this book. And there's a a third point of view character you haven't met yet that has got a huge part of my heart. But Kaladin has clinical depression. And I don't read many fantasy stories where the main characters have to struggle with a mental illness in this much of like a forefront way without it being like a very special book about that particular challenge. An after school special. An after school special. <laughs> and I think this book captures it really well. Everything sucks. And the only, like there's, he's like, there's no point to this war at mm-hmm. all. The only thing he knows is that he didn't, he doesn't know why they fight on the plateaus he doesn't know why they're not fighting somewhere else. He says 
Something about those large chrysalises. They had gemstones at their hearts, apparently, but what did that have to do with the vengeance pact? He says, he, okay, so this is at one point, it talks about it's a prison. Like, there's nowhere for these men to go. Mm-hmm. They just go out and die, you know, and if you don't die, you go yeah. back and wait to go out and die. I mean, it is a horrible cycle. And Kaladin asks, why? Why did this have to be so horrible? None of it made sense. Like, he cannot, it's so awful, he cannot make sense of what is happening. It's so awful. It's really good writing, Brandon. Good job. Like, good job. And the part that I think was, like, it's all very horrible to read. But Kaladin says, we exist to be killed. He blinked, glancing at the other few members of Bridge Four sitting apathetically in the rain, if we're not dead already. Like, no one bothers to learn anyone's names. They just come back from the battle and sit there shell-shocked waiting to go out. I mean, it is the end of the road. And to Capstone, Syl leaps. Before before she leaves, though, she tries to snap Kaladin out of this depressive episode that he's in. And she mentions, she's like, you used to be vibrant, so many people look up to you. And she talks about how Syl has memories. Uh, I used to watch you fight. And he mentions that that's odd because he hadn't remembered Syl following him until after his fall from the army is the phrase that he uses. And she'd started acting just like an ordinary windsprint. So what's with Syl? What's with that? Oh, don't worry. I'm not going to quiz you on who this character is. (laughs) But somebody comes to bring more men because there's always enough men to feed to the bridge crews. Uh, And it mentions his hair is yellow and black. I noticed that. And I didn't know if it was stripes like a zebra or spots like a leopard. (laughs) I just tried to like, is it long like Legolas's or like spiky? So it will grow in, it's like highlights, but they occur naturally. Okay. So several other characters we meet will have, instead of fully, because the, listen, the Punnett squares on Rishar (laughs) work a little differently than they do on Earth. So if you have a mother with yellow hair from a particular race that we haven't talked about yet and a father with dark hair who's an Alethi, instead of having your mother's hair or your father's hair, you will have kind of clumps of both colors of hair on your head and it'll it looks like uh it looks like highlights but it's woven all throughout that's crazy so there you go there's our there's our first glimpse at this cool hairstyle yeah this this yellow and black haired man brings a ton of people in and gaz is like bridge four needs some men and loresh says bridge four always needs men and there is a particular person who sent to bridge four it is a baby-faced 14 or 15-year-old boy. When Kaladin first sees him, he immediately thinks it's Tien. And I'm just like, we've mentioned Tien before a couple times. I'm like, oh, this kid was 14 or 15. I'm pretty sure he's dead. They've said he's dead. Mm-hmm. And this is the moment when Syl announced that she's leaving. Like, she's out. Kaladin's just had this emotional gut punch seeing this person look like Tien. And he's like, don't. No, because, like, she's the last good thing he has. And she says, I'll try to come back, but I don't know what will happen when I leave you. And he's like, don't, then don't go. And she says, I have 
to the boy who looks like Tien dies during the next bridge run. Like we don't even learn his name. Kaladin says, I can't keep going like this, he thought. I'm dead inside, as sure as if I'd taken a spear through the neck. The storm continued its tirade, and for the first time in over eight months, Kaladin found himself crying. So now we flip to chapter 10. So I totally get what Brandon says about it being hard to read. I'm sure it was hard to write. Just, I think the part that really got me was when Kaladin was like, I'm not even a person anymore. I'm a thing. I do what they tell me. I'm a thing. Oh, like he goes from this like vibrant, cool person who bribes people to protect his people, to keep them safe and to like install hope in others. And he has no hope. Like he is, he has fallen as basically almost as far as a person can fall. Oof. And so we have a flashback. This flashback does not have an epigraph. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. And how long ago does the flashback happen? Nine years ago. I think this is interesting that the flashback is chapter 10, but it's nine years ago. Ooh. And I, I don't know if this was on purpose, but I feel like it's another one of those instances of 10 becoming nine. Interesting. So this would have been uh, four years before King Gavilar died. Oh, okay. So this is about... <gasps> okay. I have some thoughts about that when we get there. So, Well, we're there. It's time. He's talking with his dad at one point, and Kaladin wants to be a soldier. Okay, then we're not there yeah, yet. Yeah, we're not there yet. <laughs> so this flashback is Kaladin going into his father's surgery. His father is a surgeon. His father is a doctor. And his father's name is Liren, which is almost... Almost a palindrome. It's one word different. Sorry, one letter different. Shalon is almost a palindrome. Just the sh and the n. That's something that will be addressed later in the books. But I know how you had your eye out for palindromes. Did. And now you changed the rules on me. (laughs) Almost palindromes. Now we're almost palindromes. (laughs) It's like how ten becomes nine look for palindromes that have been just slightly knocked down a bit. So Kaladin joins his dad in the surgery to operate on this young woman who's had an accident with her safe hand? Yes. Um, basically her hand's been mangled and she's been put under and Kaladin comes in late to assist his father with the surgery and he talks about how careful his dad is cleaning everything. Like his dad is a good surgeon. You read books about like, it, it's almost worse going to the doctor, you know, in, like, ye olden days than it is to, like, suffer through whatever injury you have. Yeah, a sawbones. Yeah. This man is very delicate and very precise. He has a pair of spectacles, oh, yeah. which he got given as a gift. He only takes them out except for surgery, and he just keeps them... He keeps just this pair of spectacles pristine, and they've lasted him for years. Because they talk about, what are they going to do if it gets scratched? There's nowhere to replace it or get it fixed. Mm-hmm. Kaladin assists in the surgery. They're able to save four out of five fingers, and Kaladin sees this for the miracle that it is. But they talk about how her parents might not see it that way. Real fast, Kaladin notices during the surgery, he's like, oh, the third finger will have to go, won't mm-hmm. it? So. Yeah. 
obviously uh, dad has been teaching Kaladin medicine as, as we've been going. Yeah. They talk about how the parents will probably see it as a disfigurement rather than a miracle and how interesting it is that odd how they survived this Kaladin's talking about his family odd how they survived because of others misfortune. Maybe that was part of what made the townsfolk resent them because the townsfolk have to pay them when bad things happen Mm -hmm. (laughs) to fix them. There are two things I want to mention as they are describing the interior of the surgery. The The light they have in the surgery is from a large globe filled with stormlight spheres. Uh, each of those spheres was a brome. In total, an incredible sum that was on permanent loan from Hearthstone's landlord. Lanterns flickered, but stormlight was always true. That could save lives. So how Shallan like left her giant bowl full of spheres in the Palinaeum. Uh, Kaladin's dad has a huge globe of spheres as a light that, again, he treats as something very precious and as a like phenomenal sum of money that is mm-hmm. used for lighting purposes. And then the other, the other thing I want to mention is we're talking about how neat and clear the room is. The town's only Fabriel clock sat here on the counter. The small device bore a single dial at the center and a glowing smokestone at its heart. It had to be infused to keep the time. Nobody else in the town cared about minutes and hours as Liren did. Do you remember what a Fabriel is? It's the thing that holds the jewels for the soul caster. It's like the piece yeah. of jewelry setting. So this clock is not a soul caster. It is a Fabriel that is run by an infused stormlight gem here, a smokestone. Mm-hmm. So Yasna's wearing a type of Fabriel, which is a soul caster. Mm, and okay. then this Fabriel tells time. Cool. So keep an eye out for Fabriels as well as palindromes and almost palindromes. And when 10 turns to 9, something else we learned in the flashback, Emily, who is Tien? Tien is Kaladin's freaking brother, younger brother. Incorrect. No, I read it was his brother. He was Kaladin's oh, brother. Megan. We know in the present, Tien is dead. Mm-hmm. So something has happened between the past until now. And sadly, Tien has died. And still... Kaladin thinks about him all the time. And sees his face. sees his face everywhere. Oof. So, if this is nine years ago, then Kaladin is ten years old. Mm -hmm. And it mentions that uh, his father had started training Cal two years before. So Kaladin has been in training to be a surgeon since he was eight years old. But Kaladin doesn't really want to be a soldier. He doesn't want to be a surgeon. That is what I meant. (laughs) But (laughs) Kaladin doesn't want to be a surgeon. He wants to be a soldier. Which is funny because he's having problems empathizing with the person who's hurt while he's taking care of them. Like, he's wincing when she's in pain. And his dad's like, "Mm, you're going to have to take care of those nerves. So he doesn't have problem empathizing. (laughs) He has an issue with the fact that he's empathizing too strongly with the person in pain. 
So he doesn't have a problem empathizing. He has an empathizing problem. <laughs> Apologize for my poor sentence structure. She's been storyboarding all That's along. That's why I'm still a spinster. And I'm very... <laughs> it's my poor grammatics. <laughs> I got so much work done today. So proud of you. Thank you. You're welcome. You know, he wants to be a soldier and he talks about Bright Lord Amaram. How he just thinks this dude is the coolest. Hey, we've heard that name we've before. We've heard that name before. He hates his guts in the future. We don't know what happened. Because whose army was he in? Amaram's. Hey, Cal. Careful what you wish for. Don't meet your heroes. <laughs> just kidding. All the heroes I've met have been lovely. They have an interesting conversation about... Let's see. We need soldiers, Father. You'd have our borders violated by the Thalians. And his dad's like, that's an island kingdom. They don't share a border with us. He's like, well, they could attack us from the sea. Like, he's he's ready for battle. Kaladin says, well, we fight with someone. Yes, his father said after a pause, King Gavilar always finds people for us to fight. That much is true. And I'm like, who are they fighting now? Who are they fighting Like, who now? are they in battle with? Because... The battle that Kaladin's a part of in, you know, nine years in the future, it's the Parshendi who murdered, quote unquote, murdered King Gavilar, sent their assassins after him. Who are they fighting now? Like, what's going on? Ah! So who are they fighting now? We don't know. Who was Cal... No, I'm, oh. I'm making a list. <laughs> Sorry. Like, I'm not... How do I know this? I'm making a list. One, who are they fighting nine years ago? Two, who are they fighting... Five years ago, no. Did they, were they, who were they fighting five years minus eight months ago? <laughs> so like when we first meet Sen, who was Amaram's army fighting then? Because they weren't fighting the Prashendi on the front lines. I thought the Prashendi, they were doing a treaty. Okay, let me try this again. Because I, the timeline's a little screwy because we have, Gavilar was assassinated five years ago mm-hmm. with a peace treaty with the Prashendi. Five years and eight months ago. No. Yes. Oh, No. Gosh, time out, time out. Sorry, I've confused everyone. In the prologue, we are signing a peace treaty with the Parshendi. Parshendi. That was five years ago. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Eight. Sorry, this is ridiculous. Let me try again. Okay. Always. No. No. Never. Never. (laughs) When Kaladin is. 10 years old. We don't know who they're fighting. We don't know who they're fighting. But Kaladin's like, we're going to fight someone. When Kaladin is 15 years old, King Gavilar is murdered by the assassin in white when they're supposed to be signing a peace treaty with the Parshendi. When Kaladin is 19 years old, he is in Amaram's army. We get a chapter from Sen's point of view. And they are fighting someone, we don't know who, uh, but they're fighting armies that have dark eyes and light eyes, and they're fighting an army that has a shard bearer. Uh, so they're fighting somebody with light eyed lords and somebody with a with a set of shard plate. Eight months after that, Kaladin finally goes to the Shattered Plains, where they're like he tries to drop Amaram's name to get a better position in this army he's sent to, and they're like, eh, never heard of him. And now Kaladin is with the armies fighting the Parshendi. So please tell me this isn't a matter of the people on the Shattered Plains don't know the war is over. 
I don't think I'm going to tell you anything. If that is the reason, I'm going to flip a table. I hate that. Well, the king's brother is here. So he's he's also fighting in, in another army. Okay. Okay. <sighs> so yeah, uh, Kaladin also has an argument with his dad. An old argument about... Let me, let me get this. There are the people who... There's the people who fight to kill and the people who fight to save. protect. To yeah. save. Protect. Protect. And then Kaladin's like, what about the people who kill... What, what was it? What about the people who kill to protect others? Yeah. And his dad's like, that's not a thing. And he's like, yes, it is. And they have a, a little mini argument about it. I guess it's an Which old they've argument. Which had before. Time yeah. and again. Time and again. So... His dad wants to send him off to study to be a surgeon. Where does he want to send him to study? To Calbronth. Carbronth. Carbronth. The city of bells. So where Shalon is right now, that's where Kaladin would be studying to be a surgeon. Interesting. Um, I want to talk a little bit about his dad. So the very first version of this book, Kaladin was a farm boy who's going off on an adventure. (laughs) Like Luke. Like Garion from the Belgariad, like Taryn from the Book of Three Black Cauldron series. And so Brandon sort of struggled for years with like different concepts from him. So he wasn't just like a farm boy who becomes a nobleman. And finally he got the idea to make this main character a surgeon. And that's what really got the initial ideas for uh, this book that would become The Way of Kings Rolling. Um, And it's interesting then that he eventually took that surgeon character and made him Kaladin's dad instead. Mm. Uh, Not the main character that Brandon had always intended. And then Kaladin became the son of this character intended to be the lead of the story. That's very cool. That's very cool. You mentioned something funny that uh, Liren, Cal's father, is like the bell of their village. Because nobody trusts him, and <laughs> soon he gets ideas and thinking with a greedy far-off look and his nose sucking up. Oh, I should have I should have made something rhyme with a body part before I got this far. <laughs> <laughs> with a grouchy soldier's son and his hands covered in blood. Nope, doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Puzzle to the rest of us, they run. <laughs> Real quick before we move on to the How is it this amazing? <laughs> keep I'll keep I'll keep working on this. Okay. It's a musical. <laughs> it's a musical. One more quick culture thing before we move on. He tells Cal, don't dream the small dreams of other men. Our grandfathers bought and worked us to the second non so that we could have full citizenship and the right of travel. What does that mean? The spinster woman was of the eighth dawn. D A H N. D A H N. So, I'll tell you a little bit more about the culture is that not only are they divided into light eyes and dark eyes, but they are divided into caste systems within light and dark eyes as well. And so, for this the dark is eyes, complex. Yeah, for the dark eyes, uh, their caste system is non and it's numbered. And so they've worked all the way up to the second non, which means they can have papers for travel and they have different opportunities for employment. Um, first non is as high as a as a dark eyes can be promoted to. Okay. So 
those would probably be, it's not the merchant class. It might be. But anyway, and so that light-eyed spinster woman who uh, had her, what you're calling the the touch of prophecy collected, mm-hmm. uh, she was of the eighth dawn. So she seemed to be a very low-ranking light eyes, but still a light eyes. Okay. So, yeah, read again what uh, what benefits they have from being second non. Full citizenship and the right of travel. Which Man, means that, I, like, third, listen, what? I like this culture, but I don't like where this is shaping up to be. I feel it's very luck-based. And, like, you can't just change the color of your I eyes. I know. Or can you? I don't think so. That doesn't seem... I meant in this book. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like... We're waiting while Emily eats a gummy bear. I was <laughs> <laughs> trying to hurry and be fast and still enjoy it. Okay. Chapter 11. Oh my gosh. Droplets. The redemption chapter. This is... Okay. So this is the last chapter for part one. And it's like everything has been building up to this so far. And this is... Oh, this is Kaladin's dark moment because where does he decide to go? He goes to the frickin' honor chasm. What's the honor chasm? It is the only way a bridge man can leave the army and the only honorable way they can leave the, the army, which is death. They throw themselves in the chasm. I was like, okay. Okay, Kaladin. I know you're not dying here, and I can't even blame him for doing this. Like, I'm just like, I, I see why you would choose to do this. He wasn't forced into it. He, it wasn't, he wasn't drunk. He, I mean, he was like, in quote unquote, like full faculty as he could be at this point. And, oh, it's just heartbreaking because he's decided to go and he starts walking down and he meets Gaz. And Gaz immediately is like, oh, where are you going, your lordship? You can't run anywhere. You can't escape. You know that, right? We'll just bring you back. And he's just... Rah, 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 rah. And Kaladin just says, I'm going to the honor chasm. And Gaz stops. Just just like, okay. Like, oh, it's just real sad. <sighs> oh, I... I don't like Gaz. I don't either. And, yeah, I was going to oh. say, I was picking up from you, I don't either. And, but it says something about his character that he stops when Kaladin says, so like, even Gaz, this horrible, horrible, murderous man, that's his line. Yep. But of course, as Kaladin's walking by, Gaz is like, actually, I need your jacket and your boots. He's like, don't make me come get them. Ugh. Ugh. Like, oh, I don't have words for this. Just how heart-wrenching it is. It's just heart-wrenching. And he's just like, he's just been pushed to the edge. He's like, there's nowhere else for me to go. Nowhere. Literally nowhere. He's like, I'm not going back out there. He walks out to it and, oh, hey, Emily, there is a map of Sadius's war camp probably seven or eight chapters ago. The honor chasm is up to the left. <gasps> you remember? Guys, look, I'm getting better. I at was this. flipping back to show you, but you remembered. Yeah, and it's ugh. 
maps are important. They, <laughs> they bring a depth to a book. Kaladin sits down at the edge and lets his legs swing out and just thinks about things for a while. And he's, it's just yeah, he's watching the rain going over the edge, and he calls it thousands of jumpers, millions of jumpers, and he's like picturing himself like a raindrop falling to the bottom of the chasm. It's really, it's very sad and it's very evocative. Mm-hmm. He's just kind of not, not, not enjoying the moment. He's taking the moment in. Kind of like, this is my last moment. And he's just kind of, I think he's kind of, because he's like looking at the droplets. And I think it's just easier if he thinks of himself as a droplet rather than as a person, as a person who's about to do this. He mentioned earlier how dehumanized he's been in Bridge 4, where he's been thinking of himself as a thing thing instead of a person. Um, Kaladin says is talking to his dad out loud and he says you were right you can't stop a storm by blowing harder you can't save men by killing others we should all become surgeons he is just he is done with this war i mean he is Mm -hmm. done with it and he's like once his life had seemed simple that was before he'd lost his brother before he'd been betrayed in amaram's army would kaladin go back to those innocent days if he could would he prefer to pretend everything was simple This next paragraph hurt my heart. I'm just going to read it because... Okay. No, he'd had no easy fall like those drops. He'd earned his scars. He'd bounced off walls, bashed his face and hands. He'd killed innocent men by accident. He'd walked beside those with hearts like blackened coals, adoring them. He'd scrambled and climbed and fallen and stumbled. That paragraph I read over and over and over... Just the way Brandon wrote that was beautiful and heartbreaking. Or Kaladin can look back and see what... I have no words for it. I'm sorry. I'm not very eloquent tonight. Just know that that was just very, very touching to me. I don't know why. Yep. There's a high storm coming. There are thunderhead clouds up above. He climbed to his feet on the lip of the chasm and could feel his father's disappointment looming over him like the thunderheads above. He put one foot out over the void. Kaladin! (gasps) Guess who's back? Guess who's back? Back back again. It's Sylph. It's Sylph. This poor little spren is like fighting against the wind and you can tell like something is weighing her down she is like flying to him just like hey it's me (laughs) and she's uh she's struggling with something and it turns out it is a leaf of blackbane the same extremely toxic one of the most poisonous plants on roshar that kaladin had at the beginning and kaladin's like what what is this? And Syl, who, I don't know how far she had to go to find this. And, and like, we know that windspread can affect their physical surroundings. She uh, made Kaladin's hand stick to his bowl. She, like, made, you know, people's boots stick together, things like that. Um, but I don't think we've ever considered one could carry something this far. And she's brought him this leaf. She's so proud of it. And she's like... Well, I just knew the last time you were happy is when you had one of these. And she went and got it for him. 
And she says, everything seemed to go wrong when you lost that leaf. Before that, you fought. And Kaladin says, I failed. Because she, she's thinking that it's the loss of the leaf that hurt him so hard. Because she mentioned, um, you lost them when you tried to help that man in the slave cages. So she's slightly incorrectly equated to the leaf loss with Kaladin's like loss of heart when really it was um it was the the death of this man and I like this scene because it's hard when someone's in a depressive episode to like snap them out of it and she had tried earlier she tried talking him out of it but like sometimes there's nothing you can do until it's like it's like rolled past but She's afraid for a second. She's like, you don't like them? I flew so far. I almost forgot myself. But but I came back. I came back, Kaladin. Why, he pled. Why do you care? Because I do, she said, cocking her head. I watched you, you know, back in that army. You'd always find the young, untrained men and protect them, even though it put you into danger. I can remember, just barely, but I do. I failed them. They're dead now. They would have died more quickly without you. You made it so they had a family in the army. I remember their gratitude. It's what drew me in the first place. You helped them. So I'm like, she can't be a windspread. Yeah. She is either a ghost or a hope spread or like something to do with like, good emotions. <laughs> She's the opposite of a Dementor. <laughs> She's a found family spread. She's a found family spread. Um, so, yeah, Kaladin uh, asked, I think it might have been two episodes ago, we didn't mention it, um, but he talks about, do windspread cause the wind, or are they drawn to the wind? And we've talked about spread a little bit here and there. But it's, do they cause the thing that's happening or are they drawn to the thing that's happening? And with Syl talking, we seem to have our first confirmation that, no, 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 Spren are explicitly drawn to the thing that's happening. Mm -hmm. And we see this happening. Well, okay, let me back up a little bit. They're drawn to the thing that's happening. She gives him hope. Like, this is where we see the first springs of hope where he's like, I've failed. I have, it's too late. Everyone I've talked to, like... Everyone I've ever tried to help is dead. This is it. I, He's just like, I failed. And she goes, well, you can't fail more than you have. Like, she, she goes, you said it. These men are already dead anyway. You can't fail them anymore. Like, they have, basically, you can't mess this up any more than it already is. That's so far. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking of another scene and I'm like how far away is it in the book? She's like all the way to like the last five chapters of the book. Page 1150? (laughs) So listen, everybody else, look at at the chapter that hits around page 1150. But yeah, it's very interesting because this is a much higher stakes version of the conversation Yalb and Shalon had. Where, well, you've already failed. So, like, obviously the worst case scenario has already happened. Why don't you try one more time? Which, hearkening back to me trying to get accepted to my university's animation program, I 
every time I got my rejection, I would take a full week and be like, okay, what would I do with my life if I don't want to go into animation? I think I'm going to try one more time. And wow, I'm glad I stuck in it because now I'm living my dream life uh, as an animation storyboard professional plus out in L.A. (laughs) She still says, one more try, Kaladin, please. And Kaladin goes, one more try. And he thinks about... He thinks about all these horrible things that have happened. He's like, one more try. What could happen if we just tried? And I love it because he smooshes the leaf. He crushes the leaf and he drops the leaf off the chasm. And poor Syl is probably like, she's like, I worked really hard for that leaf. (laughs) And he like stands up and is like, he like, it's like marching with purpose. And it says, life spread starts springing up. And I'm just like, ah! And I, um, I put life spread in all caps. He gonna live. <laughs> and I'm watching Emily write these notes that she's reading. And I thought it was a bunch of exclamation points. And so I started laughing when it wasn't. And she's like, why are you laughing at me? I'm like, because I'm watching your pen just go <laughs> down the page. Oh, so happy. Of course, the first person he meets is he's full of vim and full of vigor. Is Gaz. Gaz. Why is Gaz outside? Oh, Gaz is gathering spheres that have been basically struck by lightning. Like, Gaz kind of has risked his... Okay, not lightning, but he's kind of risked his life to go out in the high storm to get these. And that says something about... Yeah. Emily, how do they get stormlight in the spheres? Benjamin Franklin style. Yes? Yeah. Okay. You have to leave them outside during a high storm because infused spheres are seen as being more valuable. Not that they like pay more, but it's easier to buy things with infused spheres. So Kaladin, seeing that Gaz is doing this, puts two and two together about the kind of man that Gaz is. And he goes over, takes Gaz by the throat. And slams him to the ground. And I just went, yes! <laughs> I just stopped reading. I was just like, yes! And he says, the world has changed, Gaz. <laughs> I died down at that chasm. Now you've got my vengeful spirit to deal with. And Gaz is just like, what's happening? And he's just like, basically, Kaladin tells him, I'm already dead. You can't do anything to me. So guess what you're going to do? You're going to make me bridge leader. And Gaz is like, that's what you want? (laughs) He says, I want to start getting paid again. And he then does something which really surprised me, which it shouldn't have. But he offers Gaz for every day that he's alive. Every five days, Gaz will get a part of Kaladin's pay. Because you can elect to have the money go towards your slave price that you were sold for. So you don't get money. It just gets marked down somewhere. I say that with heavy air quotation marks. Or you can get paid for your labor. These are part of the Voren laws about slavery. Perfect. And he's going to give Gaz one out of five Five of his uh, his pay spheres. Yeah. So Kaladin goes back and he looks at all the men who he's now in charge of and they're all just like huddled there. And he's like, were we always so pathetic? And he goes, yes, (laughs) yes, we are. And he goes and he asks a man his name, which is really taboo because 
No one lives long enough to make friends. And the man doesn't want to give it. And Kaladin kind of, he like understands. He's like, that's the last thing that you have. And why would you want to give it up? But he's like, I'm just going to keep bugging you until you tell me your name. And he goes and he learns all the men's names. And he says he holds onto them like, like they're gemstones. And he's just like, we're going to, we're going to do something about this. Who's the first name he learns? He learns Teft. My name's Teft. And then he introduces himself. You have a, a dreamy look on no, your face. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> he basically, it ends, the, the chapter ends saying he would find a way to protect them. Like he has, he's all in now. He has a purpose for living again. He has hope. Yes, I'm just, oh, I loved this chapter. I loved it. Which is, okay, so Kaladin canonically has uh, a depressive disorder. I'm like, listen, Kaladin, enjoy this high. I believe in you. Uh, we're getting ever closer to the scene that you know, because I drew storyboards for it. But um, that's the end of part one. What do you think? I love that it, okay, I love that it ended on a high note. Had he ended it at the other chapter where Kaladin is like super depressed and everything is awful. Everything is awful. <laughs> that would have been a horrible place to end a book on, but I love that he ended this on a uptick, on a on a note of hope because everybody wants hope. You really get and I'm going to again snatch a phrase from Brandon, you get a big return on your investment in this book. Mhm. Like, if you're emotionally invested in a character and branching paths here, something good happens to them, it's way good. And if something bad happens to them, it has a weight, mm -hmm. which I also enjoy because a lot of times in T, in. So, you guys, Supernatural's over. <laughs> and all I'm going to say is, I don't feel they paid off the return on the emotional investment that people had in the series. Mm -hmm. And there have been several other big franchises that have had their finales this, uh, this year that have tried to take things in a new and unexpected direction instead of paying off the emotional investments that were set up in their series. And I feel they could learn a thing or two from how Brandon crafts a long form story like The Way of Kings. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the way that he sets up all these different cultures, the tiny, tiny bits of information, the way that characters notice things differently because of the character's interests rather than well, this is what the reader needs to know. No, this is what the character notices. They could care less about this other thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, yeah, like giving the characters, ha instead of, yeah, things happen to them, but the way that the, hold on, that's, I lost my train of thought. My train's on a completely different track, so I'm going to wait and then we'll go over to me so I can say what I'm thinking, which is <laughs> totally off topic. <laughs> um, but yeah, the idea that, um, the, okay, this is going to sound stupid, but hear me out. Things mean things in this book. There's a, a lot of times you read a series where the story moves so fast and they the author hasn't set up enough set up so that things happen and you're just like, why, where did that come from? When it's supposed to be a big moment, a big payoff, but because 
they haven't properly set it up, it just ends up falling flat. And I feel like Brandon has done such a good job with the little pieces here Mm -hmm. and they're all equaling up to the big moment when they come together. Mm -hmm. That is incredibly difficult to do. And occasionally I have been pointing out puzzle pieces to you, which Mm -hmm. I mean, I could just let you read it in a vacuum and never say anything, but we're having this interactive podcast together. Uh, I will say there are some puzzle pieces I am deliberately not pointing out to you. And there are lines I am avoiding in my rereads because the solution of that puzzle I think is fantastic. But because of, I mean, obviously we have the depth marks of plot and the surface most plot is literally what's happening to these characters in their daily lives right now. And then we have the second most plot that we were kind of introduced to in the prologue. The mystery of what is this dark sphere that King Gavilar has? Why did the Parshendi um, murder the king? Did they intend to kick off this war? Were they trying to stop something else? We're like, we're like, not sure. And then there is a deeper, big world storyline that we saw in the prelude Mm -hmm. with the nine... Uh, those nine warriors from the prologue who are now called the heralds. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to, I'm going to call them heralds of uh, the nine heralds who left and left one behind. So you have these wildly different stories, just like right now in the way of Kings, we have Shalana Kaladin, we have Seth and King Gavilar and the Parshman, and we have the heralds, these three incredibly different stories that are moving at incredibly different paces And they get woven together so well. It also reminds me of the Netflix The Dark Crystal. Because you have three completely different characters who just just watching their stories be woven together is fascinating. I mean, barring all the beautiful... Puppetry and and visual and everything. Just watching. Oh, so good. Kudos to those people who can do that. Shame on you, Netflix, for not renewing them for season two. (laughs) Shame. So, that's part one. This episode went a little long, but I figured that's fine because we're also wrapping up part one. Um, This is great. I'm really enjoying this, Megan. I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. No, I'm happy now. (laughs) I feel so... Dumb, where I'm like, oh, it's too much to read. Ugh, what was wrong with past I'm Emily? I'm trying to remember how far you even got the first time. I don't even know. I bet you... Did you even read Shalon's stuff? I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, so I'm thinking you came up against the prelude and the prologue. Hey, Taco, come here. This is... My cat was looking for me. Mom, do you want to say hi on the podcast? Hello, hello. <laughs> You're listening to two great ladies. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. What were we just talking about? It was a long episode. We talked about good things. Wrapping up. Where did I end? Oh, yeah. So my guess is you would have run up against Kaladin's first chapter, and that's where you would have put it down. I don't think you got to Shalon. I don't think so. Because if you knew there was a redhead in this book, you would have... I would have been all in. Um, I could do this all day. Next week's, <laughs> next week's episode is a much shorter reading assignment, but I'm not sure how much shorter our episode will be because next week's reading assignment is very short. It's only like 15 pages because we are going to reach the interludes. So there are five parts to this book and 
In between parts one, part two, and part three, there is something called interludes. Now, Roshar is a very big planet, and most of our story is happening in the same little corner of Alethkar. And of course, with the exception of, you know, Shalons over in Carbronth, which is, you know, its own city-state and stuff. The interludes will just give us three little snapshots of someone else somewhere else in the world. Okay. And the interludes are a very important part of the world's reading. So we're going to read the three interludes next week from part one. And they are called Ishik, Nanbalat, and Seth. Yes! Yes! Thank you! Okay, I remember one of the reasons I quit reading. I remember this very vividly is I thought Seth was such a cool character and he freaking never shows back up. And I was like, I'm out. So in her reading this week when Emily was like, Seth's back. I'm like, how far did you read? Because I knew he was coming back in these interludes. Oh, it's going to be great. Well, well thank you. Is it? Uh, it's 10... 36. Thank you for listening, guys. We super appreciate you. Um, and listen. I'm listening. No, I'm trying to think of how to say this without. Um, if you would be so kind to go give us a review, um, that would make our lives so much better. Well, I just have this blank look on my face because we haven't actually put us anywhere yet. This is for, this is me prepping for the future. So give us a review, um, share the link with your friends. Those you think would like it, we would just really appreciate you. We're a brand new podcast, just trying to get off the ground. And we rely heavily on you wonderful listeners. We could. We're dreaming big here, which is why we need you to leave us a review so we can uh, connect with people and make friends. It's 2020. No one goes outside anymore. It's almost not 2020. It's almost not 2020 anymore. Oh my gosh. What? So, Emily is wearing a shirt that's got these, she's wearing a, she was in The Little Mermaid, and it's got this deep purple logo on it, and it is the exact logo, the exact color of the Rhythm of War cover. <laughs> Which? I have my copy of Rhythm of War. Oh, sat in on the release party stream and everything. Have not cracked the book open yet. Because it's sitting in my room. I know. I'm doing this reread with Emily. I want to reread the first three books before I jump into Rhythm of War. So I'm rereading Way of Kings right now. And I've ordered Emily a paperback copy of Words of Radiance and Oathbringer. But I ordered them from a local bookshop from where I live back in California. <laughs> because I want to support my local bookstore. And I made a mistake. <laughs> Because in the notes of my order, I said, hey, I know you guys are loaded with orders before the holidays. There's no rush on these. I love you. Take care of yourself. (laughs) It's been three weeks and I'm like, maybe there should have been a bit of a rush. (laughs) So the Rhythm Before Release Party was so good. I'm so inspired. That's why I've got so much boarding done. Is like Brandon always gives a, a, a speech or like a talk at his release parties and the one this year just got me that's why i spent all day storyboarding because i was so inspired i dreamed about the release party (laughs) i did i left a bunch of energy on your bed because that's where i was (laughs) sitting when i watched it 
I had a dream that I won something somehow, and Meg wouldn't let me have it because it was a spoiler. Oh, hey, I just got invited to be a guest at LTUE. <gasps> Congratulations. Listen, Megan can multitask. She's always on her phone while we're podcasting where I have to, like, focus all of my energy and so. Yeah. So you're going to see me as a guest and panelist again uh, at LTUE 2021, which is digital this year. We're going to have to post this before February. <laughs> we are. All right, let's wrap it up. Okay, bye. Wait, Wait no, that's not <laughs> how we do it. My name is Meg, and I'm going to get back to storyboarding tomorrow. My name is Emily, and I'm also going to get back to editing my submission tomorrow. And we are going to do fabulous. I believe in you. I believe in you. Break. right now but I just get reviews for one podcast and she gets two so to help me win a free dinner and get vengeance for my friend Ted that Emily called out live please type a benign tunes review from me add some stars Maybe five. Okay, okay, where's that button? Okay, sorry. The music bit is over. Special thanks to Michael Biancardi for his song, A Passing Storm, that we used for our intro and outro. Thank you for joining us for our Way of Kings episode. Tune in next time, Tuesday the 24th, to hear more Haunting of Hill House, and Thursday, August 26th, for another Roswell episode, and another Way of Kings is coming your way, Thursday, September 2nd. Will I be able to top this intro and outro? I don't know. I think I'll have to, because the review competition ends September 30th. Remember, I get all of the iTunes reviews from Way of Kings, and Roswell and Haunting of Hill House for Emily. So, Cosmere Fandom, Best Fandom, help me out. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast, and I will talk to you later. Ciao.